The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. What's the first thing that comes to your mind when you think about Christmas? Maybe it's the gifts. Maybe it's the decorations or the lights. Maybe it's the food. Christmas movies, right? How many of you are a fan of Hallmark movies? Y'all need to get a life. It's the same movie over and over and over again. Amen. <laughs> More power to you. This is our first Christmas uh, with a dog. And let me show you what my dog thinks of Christmas. We got a picture here. Sorry, kids, but uh, my dog got your Christmas presents. Maybe if you're a little... Uh, I, that's Okay, we got the present fixed, all right? The kids are going to get gifts. Uh, maybe if you're a little bit cynical, the thing that comes to your mind is how am I going to pay for all the gifts and the decorations and the lights and the movies and the parties? Uh, whatever comes to your mind, though, regardless of the first thing that pops into your mind, uh, what we're going to see this morning in our text is that Christmas is really all about the glory of God. Christmas is all about the glory of God. As believers, this season brings meaning that can transcend just giving and getting gifts. This season brings meaning that transcends all the busyness of the season. It transcends all the decorations and the parties and the activities, and I don't want to harp on all that. I think it's all great in its place. But as we really slow down this season and take a minute to think about what we're actually celebrating, I think what we'll see is that Christmas really is all about the glory of God. Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter number 2, verse uh, number 8. We're going to read verses 8 through 14, Luke chapter number 2. Very, very familiar Christmas passage, we would call it. Last week, we started a brand new series called Christmas Carols. What we're doing is we're looking at many of the scripture passages that inspired these famous Christmas carols that we as believers have sung for hundreds and hundreds of years. These Christmas carols that celebrate the story of Christ's birth. And this morning, we're going to look at the passage that inspired the song, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. If you are physically able, I'd like to invite you to stand as we read Luke chapter number 2 verses number 8 down through number 14. On your way in, you should have received a service program guide. On the inside, there's an outline that you can use as we study God's message this morning. Also, if you are our guest this morning, thank you so much for worshiping with us this Christmas season. I'd like to ask you to take out on the inside of that service program, there is a connection card. You can fill that out during the service. You'll want to drop that off at the gray welcome tent on your way out this morning. We have a small gift that we'd like to give you just to say thanks for worshiping with us. Luke chapter number 2, beginning in verse number 8. The Bible says, in the same region, shepherds were staying out in the field and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said unto them, don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped highly in a cloth, lying in a manger. And suddenly, there was a multitude of the heavenly host with the angel praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and peace on earth to the people he favors. Let's pray, then we'll jump into our Bible study this morning. Father, we love you so much, and we thank you that you came, that you left heaven, and you came down to earth, that you became a man, so that you could live the perfect life that we can never live. You could do what we could never do. And then you willingly allowed yourself to die for our sins. You took the punishment. You took the wrath of God that our sin deserved. You took that for us so that we could be 
as the song says, reconciled back to you. I pray that you would stir up that in our hearts in a fresh way this morning. We ask, that, we ask this in your name. Amen. You may be seated. Hark the Herald Angel Sings was written in the year 1739 by a man named Charles Wesley. Now get this, Charles Wesley was child number 18 in his family. You thought you had a big family. Charles Wesley, he was child number 18, his poor mother, on so many different ways. Uh, Charles Wesley, he was an English leader of the Methodist movement, and he's most widely known for writing over 6,500 hymns. He was a prolific songwriter. The grace of God did such a work in his heart, he just had to sing and write new songs over and over and over again just to put to words the feeling he had for how Jesus saved him. And Hark the Herald was actually one of his earliest songs. It was written in 1739. He was converted to Christ in the year 1738. So the song, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, is actually one of the very first songs that he ever wrote. A famous preacher and a friend of Charles Wesley's, George Whitfield, did his own adaption of the song some 20 years later. But what's interesting is the version that we know, the version that we sing, wasn't actually published until 1961, when the University of Oxford, they published a songbook called Carols for Choirs. And that is where the version that we sing today was first published and really became popular. And the thing I love about this song is that over and over and over again, at the end of each stanza, it points us back to the glory of God, which circles us back around to our theme this morning, Christmas is all about the glory of God. And as we think about that truth this morning, the first thing I want to notice from our text is we see the display of God's glory. The display of God's uh, glory. Let's look at verse number 9. The Bible says, Then the angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. One pastor defined the glory of God this way. He said, The glory of God is His greatness. It's His beauty. It's His worth put on display. So here in this verse, we see the beauty of God, the glory of God, the majesty of God, all his worth, all his holiness, all that makes God God is being put on display. Now put yourself in the position of one of these shepherds, right? You're a shepherd, you're watching your flocks in the field, it's nighttime, so you and your co-workers, you're camping out while you're watching these sheep, it's your turn to stay up for a few hours and watch the sheep at night, and your friends are asleep, you're watching the sheep, it's a peaceful evening. Maybe you're lying on your back looking up at the thousands of stars. You can feel a cool breeze growing, and you're enjoying this peaceful moment when suddenly, in the middle of this peace, in the middle of this beauty, in the middle of looking up at all the stars, this angel appears to you. And in that moment, fear instantly strikes your heart. I mean, there was nobody, and now there's this angel that's standing before you. And as if that wasn't scary enough, there's light coming at you, this blinding light, not from one source, but from all directions. The Bible said it's shown around them. So in the middle of this peaceful moment, there's this angel before you, this messenger of God, and you're surrounded by all this light, this blinding light. It's no wonder the Bible says they were terrified. This once dark night is now filled with this blinding light. The glory of God was completely enveloping this scene. This is a pretty similar experience to what the Apostle Paul experienced when he was on the Damascus Road. When Jesus appeared to him, this blinding light knocked him off his horse, and it literally blinded Paul. This would have been very similar to what these shepherds were experiencing. I mean, we like to picture this as this serene moment of festive tranquility, the angel and the light. But truth be told, if we were there, we would be scared for our lives. Over and over throughout Scripture, when the glory of God appears, you see people being terrified. You see people passing out. You see people instantly aware of their sin and in fear because they're in the presence of God. 
the glory of God was being put on display. But in a few verses earlier, we see the glory of God being put on display, and I think a far more powerful and profound way. Look back up to verse number 6 of Luke chapter 2. The Bible says why they were there. The time came for her, Mary, to give birth. Verse 7. Then she gave birth to her firstborn son. You may say, okay, what's so impressive about a baby being born, right? Like the angel coming, the light shining, that's a supernatural event. Babies are born all the time. But I want you to notice what John says in John chapter number 1, verse 14. The Word, he earlier defined this as Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So in this person of Jesus, we see the beauty, the majesty, the worth, the power of God being put on display. When the moment Jesus was born, God was displaying his glory for all the world to see. Jesus becoming a physical man was God displaying his glory to save sinners. As much as the light shining and the angel showing up was a display, even more of a display of God's glory was the fact that God became a man and dwelt among us. Let that sink in. God became a man. And what the Apostle John was saying in John 1.14 is everybody that saw Jesus and believed in him experienced the glory of God. We saw, we beheld his glory. The Apostle Paul also mentions this in 2 Corinthians 4.4. He says, In their case, the God of this age, that's Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to what? To keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Jesus was the personification of all the worth and all the majesty and all the beauty and all the power of God. What does God look like? Look at Jesus. And what the Apostle Paul is saying, when a person places their faith and trust in Jesus, it's like this light goes off in their heart. And now when they looked at Jesus, they would see him for who he was. They would see him as God, as the Messiah, God with us. Now, we might be tempted to think, because of where we, uh, the time we live in, we might be tempted to think that, man, I'm at a disadvantage because I've never seen the physically risen Jesus with my own eyes. I haven't seen Jesus with my own eyes like the Apostle John or the Apostle Paul did, so maybe I don't get to experience the glory of God the same way. But I want us to go back to what the Apostle John wrote in John 17. Jesus is praying, John 17, 20. He says, I pray not only for these, these were the disciples that were there with him in that moment, but also for those, that's us, the disciples that will come after. Jesus is praying for us in this verse. I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me through their word. You see, it's through the word that we see Jesus, and it's through the word that we get a picture of the glory of God. The Apostle John so believed this. He said in 1 John 1, what was from the beginning? This is Jesus. He, was always, he always existed. What was from the beginning? What we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we've observed and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. That life was revealed. And we have seen it. And we testify and declare it unto you. He's saying everything we saw about Jesus, everything we experienced with Jesus, everything we learned, everything we touched, everything that we got to experience by being around Jesus, we declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. What we have seen and heard, he says, we also declare to you so that you may have fellowship with us. And he's going to define that. And he says, indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. What the Apostle John is telling us on repeat is that we are not at a disadvantage because we have not yet seen Jesus in bodily form. 
what John is saying is he's like, look, you guys get to experience the exact same thing we experienced through the word. We're writing this to you so you can experience what it was like to be at the feet of Jesus. This is partly why Jesus says it's necessary that I go away. Jesus says it's better that I leave so you can experience the Holy Spirit and the word of God so we are not at a disadvantage. We can experience the same glory because we have the written word and it's through the written word that we're pointed to the living word and it's through that means that we get to experience the glory of God. The glory of God put on display for us to experience. I love the lines of the song, Hark the Herald, that says, Veiled in flesh the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Pleased as man with men to dwell. Jesus, our Emmanuel. God with us. We see the display of God's glory. Jesus is the display of God's glory because he is God on display. So we've seen the display of God's glory. But now let's also notice the message of God's glory. The message of God's glory. Look at verses number 10, 11, and 12. The Bible says, but the angel said to them, don't be afraid. For look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy, which shall be for all people. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born to you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. Like we said, throughout Scripture, whenever a person would see the glory of God, it would produce fear. Oftentimes, the very first thing the angels would say when they would show up is, don't be afraid, fear not, because the glory of God was this terrifying thing. In Revelation 1, the apostle John, when he sees the glory of God, he passes out like he was dead. (laughs) But the very first thing these angels say is, don't be afraid. This is not a message of fear. This is a message of hope. This is not a message of judgment. This is a message of deliverance. The message of God's glory is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the message that the death of Jesus is what was going to bring us life. Consider what the Apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. He said that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, in heaven and in earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The gospel message is a message of God's glory. It is God's gift to us. I'm going to need a volunteer for this next part. Who wants a Christmas gift? All right, Beth Hurley, you're the first one. Come on. No, you raise your hand. You're getting called. That's how this works. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 2.8 that we're saved by grace through faith and that it's not of ourselves. It is God's gift. This is God's gift to mankind. The message of his glory, the gospel of Jesus Christ, is his gift. Hang on. We'll get there. You don't even know what's in this. It might just be an empty box. Now, the gift that God has given to us, it's made available by grace, right? The Bible says you are saved by grace. This gift is made available to us by grace. God loves us so much. He didn't want to leave us to die in our sin. God loved us too much to just sit idly by while his own creation sent itself to hell. So what does God do? In his love, because of grace, he presents us with the message of his glory, this message that's available to all the world. He makes this available by grace, the gospel of Jesus Christ. But just like your gifts on Christmas morning, if I got Beth Hurley this gift and she never accepted it, hold up, really excited (laughs) and she doesn't accept it it doesn't do her any good 
It's the same thing with God. God has made this gift available to us, but if we don't buy faith, accept it. That's where faith comes in. If we don't buy faith, accept it. Now you can oh, take it. You. There you go. If we don't buy faith, accept it. Don't leave yet. We're not done. It doesn't do you any good. So faith is receiving the gift. Faith is saying, I believe in Jesus. Faith is saying, I trust that Jesus is the only way to heaven. It's saying, I trust Jesus is the only way to experience forgiveness of sins. If you're here today and you've never placed your faith and trust in him, Jesus has made this available gift available to you that you can have your sins completely forgiven so that you can be restored back to God the Father, so that you can experience an abundant life on earth and an eternal life in heaven. That is the gift that is made available to you. But we have to accept the gift by faith. Faith is what accepts and opens the gift. Okay, we're going to go ahead and open it. See, there is a gift in there. There's a gift card. Now, I want you to imagine with me for a moment. Beth, she's accepted this gift. It's hers, right? She owns it. Now, we know this is going to happen because this is a gift card for coffee. But I want you to imagine for a moment, she accepted this gift, puts it in her pocket, and forgets about it. Is she going to be able to enjoy that to the fullest extent? No. No. So faith is not a one-and-done deal. Okay, I've accepted the message, and now I'm done. Just like if she forgets about this gift, she's not going to enjoy it to the full extent. If we don't continue to go back to the gospel by faith, we're not going to enjoy it the way that we could. You see, faith is, yes, it's accepting the gift, and it's opening the gift, but it's also continually going back to the gift so that that gift can bring hope, so that gift can bring life. Thank you, Beth. You can have a seat. Yeah, you can have the lid. There you go. Yeah, let's give her a round of applause. Our salvation is this wonderful gift that God has given us. And the beauty of this gift is every day by faith we can enjoy it. Every day by faith I can go to the gospel of Jesus and I can get help that I need. Every day I can by faith celebrate what God has done for me regardless of what's going on in my life. I can have hope. I can have help by faith. This gift allows me to know God, to experience God, to experience the glory that he is through his written word. This gift gives us continual forgiveness of sins by faith. It gives us abundant life on earth and eternal life in heaven. When we continually go to it, when we continually experience it by faith, It's faith that allows us to experience all that this gift allows us and makes possible for us to experience. In Charles Wesley's original version of Hark the Herald, there's a verse that we don't sing anymore. It's kind of fallen out of use. But there's this verse in there that I really liked. It says this, Adam's likeness, Lord, efface. Adam's likeness, that's our sin nature. He says, Lord, efface it. Get rid of it. He goes on to say, stamp thy image in its place. Second Adam from above, reinstate us in thy love. Let us thee, though lost, regain. Regain what? Thee, the life, the inner man. Owe to all thyself in part, formed in each believing heart. What a great picture of our salvation and the continual effects that it has in our life. Our current version sings, Born that man no more may die. Peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinner reconciled. The message of God's glory is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Christmas is all about the glory of God. And it's the glory of God to save sinners like you and me. Like we read in Ephesians, it brings God glory when somebody confesses that Jesus is Lord. We've seen the display of God's glory. We've seen the message of God's glory. But finally, let's notice the carol of God's glory. Let's look at verses number 13 and 14. 
As if the first angel appearing suddenly in the middle of nowhere wasn't enough, we have another suddenly moment here in our text. Verse 13, suddenly, like this poor shepherd, he's just finally getting his, his wits about him, like, what's going on? You know, there's this angel that, boom, there's another event. Suddenly, there was a multitude of heavenly hosts with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to the people he favors. After the angel shares his message, we see a multitude of heavenly hosts show up. And what do they do? They start praising God. They start singing. You see, the glory of God always leads to the praise of God. The glory of God always leads to the praise of God. A life that has been impacted by Jesus cannot help but sing. I mean, as we consider the fact that we hold in our very laps the word of God that reveals to us Jesus, reveals to us the plan of salvation, the fact that we have God's word available to us, the fact that God became a man, as we consider that message, that God became a man, and he died for my sins, and he did something for me that I could never do for myself. He lived a perfectly righteous life, and then he gives that to me as this amazing gift. When I consider that message, when I consider that I can have a relationship with God, how can we do anything but sing? How can we sit here and remain silent? We see the glory of God always leads to the praise of God. I know sometimes we as guys, we think we're too cool to sing, right? Like we stand in church and we're like, go ahead, Hunter, try to get me to sing, right? And I mean, and when we read this passage in our Western thinking, it's easy for it to, the way we kind of interpret it in our Western mindset, it's easy for us not to really get inspired to sing. Like, it's an angel. I mean, come on. What do we think of when we think about angels? We think like Michael Landon, right? That's a really old reference. Touched by an angel. You know, wavy hair, smooth face, really good-looking guy, clean-shaven. I mean, I have a picture of the angel at our nativity set here. Like, that doesn't inspire me to sing. I'm just going to be honest with you. As a guy, I'm just like, I mean, talk about gender neutral. Like, 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 what? I don't know, you know? But there's something really interesting in this passage that I think we sometimes miss. If you were to go to the original language, and you look at this verse in the original Greek language, and you were to do a literal word-for-word translation from Greek into English, the word that often gets translated as host, you know what word you would get? Army. Whenever you see the phrase heavenly host in the Bible, you need to think army of angels. That is heaven's army. And so when we consider who's actually showing up here to sing and to praise God, this isn't a bunch of, you know, angels with the long, flowing, you know, Thor-like hair with the robes. No, these are God's army, God's soldiers who he created to fight the forces of darkness. Like, these are some bad guys. Like, I wouldn't want to mess with them. Earlier this year at our revival, Pastor preached a message on a spiritual warfare, and he showed a picture of what an angel probably would more look like. And my son saw it, and he was scared. He was like, Dad, that's a bad guy. I'm like, no, son, that's actually the good guy. <laughs> he was like, no, Dad, that's a bad guy. <laughs> that's who's singing. And so we can't sit back as men and just be like, well, singing, I'm too cool for that. I mean, if the armies of heaven, if God's fighting force that he created to fight off demons can show up, and with all their worth, praise God, I think we as men can too, right? I think we as men could just lay it all out on the line. You say, but Pastor Nick, you don't understand. I cannot carry a tune if you gave it to me in a bucket. Sing anyway, man. Nowhere in the Bible does it say, praise God, if you can do it well. I can't do it well either. I'm right there with you. When we started the worship team up here like eight or nine years ago, I was on it. I'm not on it anymore, folks. There's a reason, okay? 
But here's the truth. It doesn't matter how well we sing. We can praise God. Why? Because God has saved us. Because the glory of God has been revealed to us. And the glory of God is always followed up by the praise of God. Sing anyway. Friends, has God saved you? Have you experienced His goodness? Have you experienced His glory? Are you overwhelmed with the fact that God left the splendor of heaven to become a dirty, stinking man so that we could be reconciled back to Him? The glory of God always leads to the praise of God. I love Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. The Bible says, I saw the Lord seated high and lofty on His throne. This is about as unfiltered of of a picture we can get as God's glory. I'm saying about as good because it's filtered through our finite language. It's filtered through finite words. But as much as we can comprehend the throne room and the glory of God, I think these verses give us that picture. It says, I saw the Lord seated high and lofty on his throne. The hem of his robe filled the temple. Seraphim were standing above him. They had six wings. With two, they covered their face. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they flew. And one called to another, holy, holy, holy. Here it is again, guys. The Lord of armies. His glory fills the whole earth. Here in the throne room of heaven, we see the glory of God being put on display and God's heavenly creation can't help but praise Him. The Bible tells us that the angels, they look longingly at the gospel. They don't fully comprehend it. And yet here in our text in Luke 2, when the gospel's first going out, they can't help but show up and sing. Because the glory of God always leads to the praise of God. And Christmas is all about the glory of God. So as believers, we should sing. Musically talented or not, we should sing. We should lift our voices and praise to God for all that he has done to us. In his book of stories, uh, Character is Destiny, the late John McCain tells a story about his imprisonment during the Vietnam War. Uh, He talks about how he was illegally tortured. He talks about how he wasn't afforded the protection that was his right under the Geneva Convention. Every morning, he would be beaten up by his guard if he didn't bow down to his guard. And he says even on mornings where he couldn't physically get up, the guard would beat him anyway. He, was, he and all his other soldiers were kept in solitary confinement so that they couldn't communicate with each other. Some of the prisoners were hung by ropes as they were being beaten and interrogated. Some of them were kept in ankle stocks or leg irons for weeks and weeks on end. Some of their interrogators, they delighted in how much pain they can inflict on these American POWs. John McCain talks about how it was actually his faith in God that allowed him to even remain human throughout his imprisonment. It was such a horrendous thing. And in this book, he shares a story, and I wanted to share it with you. He said, of all my memories in prison, many of which it may surprise the reader to know I actually recall fondly, He said, the one I cherish the most was a Christmas service in 1971. He says, in 1970, their treatment had somewhat improved. They were no longer tortured routinely. But he said, the most welcome change that was given to them was they were actually relocated from solitary confinement into group cells. He goes on to say that after years of solitary confinement, being allowed the company of other prisoners was the most uh, wonderful comfort imaginable. He says, I doubt I've ever had a happier day than the day I got moved to a group cell. During their Christmas season, he said their captors actually allowed them to conduct a Christmas service in their cell, and they even gave a Bible to the prisoners that they could share amongst the cells. And John McCain talks about how he was kind of ordained the cell's chaplain, 
and it was his responsibility to copy as many passages as he could before the guards took the Bible to the next cell. They didn't get to keep it. They just had to pass it around to all the cells, and so he would copy as many verses as he could. He says, At this time, despite our joy at being allowed to be together again, they were in pretty bad shape. Some of them had been in prison for years, and the inadequate diet, the torture, the mistreatment, and the unhealthy conditions had really taken its toll on these men. Many of them had injuries when they went into prison that were never properly heated. John McCain talks about he had, I think it was both of his legs and one arm that was broken and never properly treated, so they were constantly in considerable pain. He said in the harsh uh, Hanoi winter, they were just miserable. They were a pretty wretched sight that Christmas night. Many were laying down because they were too sick to stand. Some of them barely even up because they were on crutches. He said some of the prisoners in the cell this one Christmas night organized a choir. And he said, as they sang the traditional Christmas carols, he said, it was so rich and so beautiful, it was better than any cathedral choir could boast. He said, we give thanks for the birth of Christ. We gave thanks for the company of our fellow soldiers. And as they were praising God, John McCain says, he read, and the angel said unto them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. He said at any moment they expected the guards to come in and break up the service, but they, they let him carry on. And he says that service in that cold prison, surrounded by people who had been abused and tortured, he said that was the most meaningful and encouraging Christmas service that he had ever attended before or since. He said in that night, overwhelmed with the gratitude of the birth of his Savior, he felt closer to God than he ever had before or he ever had since. You know, we hear stories like that of people praising God in the middle of these horrible, unbelievable, unthinkable circumstances. And we think, how? How could he praise God through that? How could he feel close to God? The truth is, he could feel close to God. He could praise God because the glory of God had been revealed to him. Because they had good news of great joy. A Savior had been born. The glory of God has been revealed to us. So here's our takeaway, church. Boil it all down. Let's boil it all down to this. Our lives should be filled with praise because our lives exist for his glory. Our lives should be filled with praise because our lives exist for his glory. No matter where or how you find yourself this Christmas season of life, your heart and your mouth can be filled with praise because our lives have been impacted by the glory of God revealed to us through the person of Jesus. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, please consider leaving us a review or sharing the message on social media. Thanks once again for tuning in.